Welcome back to another episode of the Fundamental Frequency Podcast. Today I'm here with Steve James, also known as the Guru Viking, uh, host of the Guru Viking Podcast. Uh, welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me at such uh, late notice, I guess. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, not expecting you to uh, say that we should record straight today, you know, after after just, uh, you know, reaching out to you um, quite uh, spontaneously, really. Um, and it's, but it's, you know, it's been good. It's uh, kicked me into gear and I've had to yeah, <laughs> get some questions down to, to talk to you about. So um, maybe we can just start off with, uh, maybe just tell everyone about the Guru Viking podcast and um, how you started it and why you started it. And like, what's the message you want to bring through with, with that? And, and you know, what, what kind of things do you cover? Sure. Yeah, we should probably say why we are recording so spontaneously. Yeah, sure. um, I'm in Australia moment and you saw me i think be yeah, you know be, <laughs> right you saw that i was here and so you reached out and said we should record while we're in the same time zone yeah and i said sure how about today so here we are doing it yeah it's great thank you for inviting me no no worries no worries my pleasure yeah. uh yeah the guru viking podcast is an interview podcast um in that sense similar to yours i think and in that podcast i interview all different kinds of people associated with or connected to uh, I suppose spirituality, um, religion of various types, meditation, contemplative things. So that includes teachers, uh, you know, like gurus and so on, as well as uh, scholars, uh, translators, and different people like that. So, uh, yeah, I interview people, uh, a whole range of people who are associated with that, unique people, interesting people uh, that, I, that I encounter. Uh, they go on the Guru Viking podcast. Mm. It's a fascinating podcast, and um, I have grown to love it over the last. I've probably, maybe since the start of last year, I've I've been onto the Guru Viking podcast, and it was through one of my best friends, James, um, who happens to be my therapist as well. Um, he's a psychotherapist, and we obviously talk about spirituality quite a lot, and, and share like different ideas, um, and whatever we're into, whatever's pertaining to us at the time, and um. Yeah, we're huge fans. We're we're really big fans. We'll send things back and forth, and uh, yeah, sort of talk about it. But uh, we've been very. I think it was one of the the episodes about druidry that actually got me in, um, because I'm quite fascinated with druidry. I feel a, a real connection to the British, uh, like the British, uh, British Isles, Scotland, Ireland, um, which you know I think we've all lived lots of incarnations. It would make sense that I had been there at some point. Um, but yes, uh, I really enjoyed as well, which I'll talk about later, um, about Kundalini. I really loved your podcast with Tara Springett. Um, one, because I hadn't heard anyone talk about the adverse side effects of Kundalini um, and meditation before in such in such a way that it was like, <laughs> I'd never heard anyone put it like down so well and then worked in that field, you know, like I had that experience happen five years ago and I was not prepared. I had no idea what was going on and it was by accident, you know? So um, I really was reeling to try and understand what was happening to me and uh, with very little to grasp onto. So, you know, like I've, I've come to a place now, like I've learned to to live with and, and work with, and I've, I worked out on my own what worked for me. And that was, like very basic and boring neurosensory exercises, like somatic experiencing exercises, because I found that anything more advanced was would just exacerbate the the side effects or the the the, the physical effects, the paranormal effects. You know, it gets pretty 
intense at times. So, um, yeah. Wow. Really, well, thank you. For I that. would love to hear about that. I would love to hear about that, actually. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, thank you for your kind words about the podcast. That's really that, that makes me so happy to know you enjoy it with your with James. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. What's have you told the story of your Kundalini um, on this podcast yet? I have not told it fully. I plan to do a solo episode where I talk about it, but I will, I can give you a rundown now because um, basically uh, it's, it's interesting. The year leading up to the Kundalini event, I should say, I'll give you a context to the year before I started meditating and I'd felt drawn to learning meditation, but it was very surface level. It was like, Oh, you know, successful people do this. And it's like, <laughs> and it's, um, it's good for relaxation and anxiety. I knew that I was a quite a bit of an anxious person, but you know, nothing intense. Um, and so, yeah, I lent into it with the headspace app 10 minutes a day. And, um, I got, I can, I'm a bit competitive. So I got into like getting a streak going on the app and, um, and yeah, I, uh, I went through all the levels. Like there's levels in there. Like you go through like the beginner and then you go to like, get up to the pro level expert level and you know they just get longer and less guided basically it's very very simple and um but they are sort of based on like tibetan buddhist meditation um, or zen buddhist meditation um but uh you know what like during that time i felt i started to feel um what i understand now was a, a, a connection to, to source and i didn't realize that's what it was and because in the moments where in the meditation, there's always a moment where they say, now let the mind do whatever it wants to do. And that I, I could identify that was the, the time when the mind went its quietest. And I was able to, I kind of got hooked on that feeling of let, of trying to make my mind as clear as possible. You know, like I really got good at letting that time period widen like i could make that go for longer and longer and i didn't realize why i liked it so much <laughs> um so that's the year before i also had an interesting energy work experience during that year um i was becoming more and more interested with spirituality i found dr david r hawkins work i don't know if you know dr david r hawkins yeah um, and i'll just binge watch his youtube videos and i, and I just love them um and then um, there was a lot of stress happening in life at the time. So my father was diagnosed with cancer. He's he's okay now, but at the time it was very stressful. Um, he ended up moving back overseas, and I lived with him. And I I was I was young, and so I, I was you know a bit terrified because I was going to have to move out of home and things. So there was a lot of change. I also changed jobs at the same time, and um, you know there's there's these external pressures that were building and. Um, and given my childhood and uh, childhood development trauma in there, uh, I was suppressing a lot and I didn't realize how I was numbing myself to life's challenges. Anyway, then you add this, this spiritual dimension on top of that already existing foundation, which is not a very good foundation. <laughs> um, I started to have like moments uh, towards... Uh, when all of this was building of, of real like derealization and depersonalization, like kind of um, like real scary moments of like not knowing where I was and uh, not being able to explain what the object, very simple objects were and things. And then um, one day I had a real breakdown and just really cried a lot. And uh, I couldn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was like, what's going on? What's, what's, what's happening to me? And then um 
things progressed a few months. Um, I was still under a lot of stress, feeling very anxious. I'd have these moments where I'd start bursting into tears and I didn't know why. And then I hadn't been meditating at that time. And then I thought, I was like, oh, maybe I need meditation. That's what I'll do to try and calm myself down. And in this moment, I sat down to meditate maybe five minutes in. And um, then this eruption just from my uh, solar plexus sacral area. And it just started pushing up through my chest, through my neck, into my head. It felt like my head was about to be blown off my body. <laughs> Um, the blinding white light or golden light started to, it felt like it was enveloping me from the like forehead down. And um, all I could feel was my fingertips. Uh, that's, that was all that was left. And um, uh. there was a moment where I was like, oh, there was part of me that was like, oh, no, just let this happen. And uh, this is okay. And then a part of me kicked in that was like, that thought I was dying, you know, I was like, I'm going to die. If I keep going, I'm going to die. And then I snapped out of it. And I actually had, um, what's, you know, spontaneous Korea, like my body was moving and, and contorting and my stomach was undulating like, like this, because all of my centers were wide open. Um, and yeah, I, this was by myself in my bedroom at my mother's house. And I, I didn't tell anyone because I was really freaked out and I didn't know I had no spiritual context for what had happened other than, you know, a bit of Dr. David R. Hawkins and um, what people had told me. But, uh, you know, after that moment, what, what, what kicked in after that was very intense anxiety, you know, like really extreme anxiety. Like I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't leave the house um, because it was very, what I understand now is actually like a form of PTSD because I thought I had a perceived near-death experience really. So um, it was very, it was very challenging. Like for a few weeks, like for yeah, a good six weeks, I didn't sleep more than probably two, three hours a night. One, because every time I closed my eyes, that process would start to happen again. Um, mm. It didn't stop. And then as well, I was having all sorts of insane uh, paranormal visions. Uh, I would see really scary images of people dying. I would see images of me dying. I would see uh, just crazy kaleidoscoping colors like you'd see on plant medicine. Um, and I would feel like I was falling headfirst into it. So it was like this very unnerving like sensory experience and I would lie in bed and I'd see colors touching me and all sorts of stuff. It was, it was wild. And um, my poor little brain was, was struggling to understand what was going on. But um, I was, as you can imagine, thanks, thank God for Google because I could get on there and at least someone had an explanation for like, I was like writing stuff. I was writing things like energy explosion in the body, uh, white light, you know, like that kind of thing because I had no context. And then um, the word Kundalini started to come in and I was like, okay, maybe this is what happened. And then I looked at some uh, Hindu literature and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a thing. Maybe this is what's happened. And um, I sought out the, yo the local yogi, <laughs> yoga teacher and um, had a chat to him about it. He was, he was helpful because he just understood and something similar had happened to him 
but he didn't have much advice. He wasn't like, yeah, do this to make, to make the symptoms go away. He wasn't like, this is how you handle it from now on. Um, so that has been very much my own like journey of trying to learn to handle it on my own. Um, but you know what? It was probably two years, um, Steve, two years before I started meditating again, because I was just terrified of meditation <laughs> because it was, it, it was, uh, I felt like I was going to, you know, it ceased to exist. Mm. Yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Wow, that's incredible. How old were you when this happened? Twenty-two. Yeah, twenty-two. And um, yeah, like uh, it seems to now. I understand. Like, and from I actually want. I'm going to work with Tara Springett actually because um, uh, I've been messaging ever since I heard your podcast. I was like, oh, I um, this is I need to work with her because this is going to help me really um, work with the energy. But it's it's since since it happening, I've learned that it is a highly intelligent force. It has its own agenda of which is which is really your soul's like mission. It it is it has its own timeline, if that makes sense, of when it thinks that you should be evolving. And so I find that sometimes the ego or I'm plodding along through life, you know, quite happily, and then things will start to be serviced, or I'll have some sort of activation in the body which brings up a whole lot of trauma that i hadn't that i'd forgotten about and then i have to process it over probably another couple of months consciously to it's like um, it, it brings it up and then i have to process it consciously it's um it is a fascinating force <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd love to hear your thoughts about it and if you've had any sort of experiences like that yeah gosh well i could ask you a hundred more questions about that but i suppose that's not you can if you like you know maybe this is maybe this is why we're doing this today <laughs> yeah well i'm just very interested by it and when you said you had paranormal visions hmm. do you mean that you saw them um as i'm looking at you here or in your mind's eye very vividly for example what what was your experience of those it was a combination of both um so i'd have paranormal visions in my mind's eye uh eyes closed um it was kind of like every time I closed my eyes, there was like another world that was existing. Um, and then I would have them specifically at night. I would see like scary figures um, standing in the corner of my room or something, and then they would disappear or um, or I'd wake yeah. up and there'd be something hovering over me. Like, you know, you know, a lot of people talk about DMT experiences like this and, and I go, I don't need DMT. This happens to me <laughs> in my normal life. Um, so yeah, it's... um. It's a combination of both more so uh, it's more frequent to be like, yeah, in, in internal. Mm. And did those have those visions changed in frequency or character in the last five years since they began? Um, yeah. So it's far less intense now and it's far less frequent now. Um, but I seem to go through periods where it's very active. It's like it, like I said, it has its own timeline. It's like it, it, something triggers it maybe it's an external i haven't quite nailed it what what actually triggers it sometimes it might be an external stressor or sometimes i think it, uh, the sun has a lot to do with it um i feel that solar flares might be have a lot to do with it i've kind of i kind of been tracking solar flares for a while because i would I, I would feel an overload or an overwhelm of energy in my body and wonder what was different and um yeah it usually coincides with a 
M class or an X class flare. So it's really interesting. Um, mm. I obviously have no scientific proof of that. It's just my own experience. But, uh, no, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's now I I tend to have. Um, it, it's funny the, the content of the visions change too, depending on like if I'm if I'm stressed out or anxious about something, the content of the visions will be negative. Um, mm. especially if it's if it's um, perceived as being life threatening, like I've. For example, if I, I've been out surfing before and I've been held down under a wave for a long time and that was stressful, like perceived as being life-threatening. And then I would notice that night as I'm going to bed, I would have visions of, of you know, violent visions or of visions of dying or things like that. Um, and yeah, if I'm if I'm anxious, yeah, the visions tend to be negative. If they're not, then they tend to be like beautiful geometry or colors. Um I've had other experiences in dreams where animals will talk to me. <laughs> I've had, I've had other, I've, I seem to have a lot of dreams where I get shown symbols. Um, I actually mm. had the symbol for hermeticism appear in a dream. I had no idea what hermeticism was. And, um, and then it synchronistically showed up in my life and I was like, Oh, that's what I saw. And then I obviously ordered the Kabbalion and <laughs> delved into that. But um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And what about your sleep? You said you were at two or three hours a night at that time in the acute phase. How did yeah. that, um, what's happened to your sleep over the last five years? So it slowly came back to normal, um, but I'd say I'm not an excellent sleeper. Um, I, at the moment, I wake up at 3 a.m. every day. Um, and that's that's been for the last couple of years. So I'm just used to that now. Um, I know that it's probably not extremely healthy to be wake to have broken sleep but um yeah it seems to be that's uh, i know i talk to a lot of people about this kind of thing and we all seem to agree like yeah i'm awake at the same time <laughs> yeah you know mm. yeah yeah well that's that's so fascinating yeah and you're going to be working with tara spring it um yeah yeah, yeah. And, you, and you said that the only thing you can you can engage with is um, things like somatic experiencing, for example, Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. And you said more advanced things um, set yeah. things off. And what do you mean by more advanced? Do you mean like formal meditation or yoga, pranayama, tai chi, that sort of thing? Yeah. So breathing techniques, especially pranayama, um, holotropic breath work, even rebirthing is meant to be um, gentler but it's not in terms of this <laughs> um right. wim hof as well is quite uh, ex uh yeah excited a lot um yoga yeah yoga sometimes is okay uh sometimes i i feel that i need the energy to move around more um, in a physical sense but um it can push it too hard as well um even intense exercise is too much sometimes if if my breathing gets too heavy um it starts to take over you know it starts to be excited mm -hmm. so um qigong i was into qigong for a while and then i had to stop because it started to i started to have um just very uncomfortable physical symptoms which is in the form of usually like just my spine feels like it's going to uh take off <laughs> like mm. it feels like there's the center column is just like vibrating all the time and it's um and i tend to feel quite like um light light headed or like i'm walking 
um, on the moon, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very unnerving, I can't function very well when I feel like that. It's very overwhelming. So um, I had to stop Qigong um, for a little while. I love Qigong though. Um, it's not, yeah, not to say there's anything wrong with these practices. They're, they're, they're great. Yeah, of course. But, but um, from what I understand is most of these practices are designed for people who have not had Kundalini awakening. <laughs> they are designed to, to get you there. And um, that's what I didn't understand um, up until in the last couple of years. I was like, oh, so where's all the practices that you do once it happens? And it, there's not many. Right. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the protocol after um, the a Kundalini awakening happened. Um, but I'd love to hear if you know much about that. Yeah, well, there are some routes that, that are said to be useful. My last question, I suppose, and then um, I'll stop interrogating you about it. That's fine. Is, have you tried, have you um, experimented at all with things like body work, massage, mm. acupuncture, uh, mm. for example? And if so, what has that interacted in any, in any way in the last five years with, with what's happened? Um, body massage seems to be fine. Um, yeah, I haven't had a problem with massage, so that's that's okay. Um, acupuncture is fine too. Uh, if anything, acupuncture has actually alleviated some of the physical pain that, that sometimes arises from it. Um, but not it. in my experience, acupuncture hasn't helped for very long, maybe like 24 hours or something, and then it seems to come back. Um, from what I understand that alleviates the physical symptoms is um, understanding the, the emotion, the unexpressed emotion that is blocked mm. and then the belief mm. system that's keeping it running it's like it right. ends up being a contemplative uh sort of exercise in understanding the the emotional content and then also what i found is really helpful is education about the nervous system because the nervous system was so overwhelmed with chi basically when the kundalini awakes um it became like faulty it's like having a faulty reverse sensor in your car like it's always going off and then the inside the like, engine lights are going off as well constantly um so education about how the nervous system functions and being able to separate myself from something's you know internally thinking something's wrong with me and then saying no it's just my nervous system that's faulty at the moment that that really helped you know mm -hmm. yeah and you you said that arousal states tend to set it off mm. stress stress and so on what about arousal states of, of some of more pleasurable or an exciting uh that sort of nature is that, is that yeah. all right yeah yeah absolutely um so i had an interesting experience um, a couple months ago uh, i just moved into a new apartment and um i actually sat down to do a uh i do meditate every now and again when i feel it's okay and i did a ram das meditation and it was just one of these simple loving awareness ones i don't know if you you know the ones um and I was yeah. like, yeah, this is lovely. <laughs> and, um, but during the potency of that, um, that mantra, I'm loving awareness, I'm loving awareness is incredible. Um, and I started to, I actually had a vision of a deity sitting in front of me. Um, mm. and that's the first time I've had a deity like appear. And I, and I'm not, sh and I'm not sure who it was, but it looked like someone like the Buddha or, um, some sort of Hindu deity, you know, um, and it was so 
overwhelmingly powerful. Like the loving feeling was so overwhelmingly powerful. I like actually lost uh, with my breath. I was like, <gasps> and um, oh. I was unable to sit and look, keep looking. It was like too much, you know? Um, so do you recall the- any of the, do you recall any of the uh, features of the deity, its color or any, uh, yeah, how so- many arms it's, it's, uh- it had um it had sort of olive skin i guess like mine but dark hair long um was definitely male uh and was kind of seated in a pose and and did a hand mudra actually it did like some sort of hand mudra and it was like when that happened the feeling of love just like permeated my being um and it was beautiful but it was a lot you know it's like my poor little body couldn't handle it <laughs> was it holding anything in no. its hands no, I wasn't holding any implements or anything. It was just, it, it seemed to be like wrapped in some, it was wrapped in some sort of cloth, clothing. Um, you know, this is all in, you know, a few, like 30 seconds of me looking. It's like a, a flash, but it was, it was one of those ones that's so overwhelmingly real that you can't I- ignore the fact that it was there, you know? <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then I said that the other one was the last one, but maybe this will be the last one. No, that's okay. That's um, okay. It's sort of interesting series of investigations. Mm. Um, what about diet and lifestyle? Have you noticed any foods that are not good or are good or things like coffee or alcohol? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, diet, so we, we already talked a bit about lifestyle when we talked about your exercise, you know, there are limits there. And we yeah. talked about sleep. Yeah. So that's a little bit of lifestyle. So, you know, diet and lifestyle sort of things like, you know, foods you can eat um, or can't eat, uh, yeah. things you can and can't drink, for example. Yeah, um, definitely coffee is not, is a big no. Um, and even some teas are too strong. Uh, the caffeine is not tolerated. It, it tends to exacerbate it a lot. Um, that was the first thing that I had to cut out was coffee because I noticed that that was a big issue. Um, so I haven't drank coffee for like the last five and a half years. Um, Food-wise, I tend to fluctuate between whatever I feel is supporting me. So sometimes I eat more meat um, because I feel that it has a grounding effect. When it first happened, I read somewhere it was like, eat earth like eat meat and earthy things to like help ground you so i did that and it, i think it did really help um i did actually do weights training during that time as well which helped um put me in my body because my body was sore all the time i couldn't like be lifted off in the upper upper chakras if that makes sense um mm. even though like i was still experiencing a lot like i think those things helped um yeah, so I oscillate between sometimes eating more plants um, and le- less meat, but I'm always eating kind of balanced diet. I don't eat any pre- processed foods. Um, processed foods just don't mix well. I actually feel energetically, this is interesting, processed foods have some uh, like negative energetic qualities. Like it's almost like I can, I can feel the... Um, Yeah, it's, I can feel like a negative influence. Like I notice my anxiety will change or um, some sort like my thoughts and patterns will change after eating like lots of processed food. So yeah, I don't eat a lot of processed food. I don't eat too much sugar either. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you for talking about all this. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I'll be very interested to see 
or a year, perhaps, if we talk again, you know, offline or whatever, online, whatever. Yeah. Um, what comes of your work with Tara? Spring it. Yeah. So um, I've read her books. Uh, I've read the path to enlightenment through Kundalini, and I've also um, read healing Kundalini symptoms, and um, they're they're very good. And um, it gave a lot more context to what's going on. And um, the fact that she, she talks about the fact that the physical symptoms are often emotional uh, manifestations, like emotional blockages of emotions that haven't been um, processed or and beliefs that are being held in the, in the subconscious. And from what I understand now is the body is all the subconscious mind, basically. So, um, yeah, it makes sense that it manifests in the body. She also, yeah, has gives great context to um, some of the paranormal experiences and 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 how to turn them off in her higher consciousness healing method, um, which I've tried a few times and I I do a version of it because it's hard to uh, get a, the full experience. I'm sure she teaches it and leads it in a beautiful way if I was to work with her, but I, I do a version of that from her book, which um has seemed to be useful. Yeah, the, the, those types of high consciousness healing meditations where you're focused on something where you're visualizing a positive effect in each center or you're visualizing light healing you in some sort of way seem to be okay and don't exacerbate it um it's it's the transcendental meditation where you're trying to clear and get rid of the mind basically that seemed to set it off but um yeah for uh, to give you an example of of how it gets set off um, I had an experience maybe three, four months ago where I was really working on some sort of some in negative thought loops that I was had, and I was trying to catch them as they arise, you know, like you catch the thought as it's, as it's impulse starts. It's like, there's a, there's a kind of like an electrical impulse that happens before the thought even manifests. And I was getting quite good at catching that. And it was like, the kundalini responds to you doing things like that it goes okay you're ready for the next phase or something and so one night i was lying in bed and i was doing that and all of a sudden everything i felt everything start to open up again i felt my crown like really like open right up energy rushed out through my crown and then i had what i assume is actually like a traumatic like a, a somatic release of trauma because my body was just shaking then for probably an hour and a half and um, mm -hmm. I had that feeling of like everything being open and there was this energy moving out through my crown. I actually called my father when that happened because um, my dad is, I, I, I get my spiritual influence from my dad. He's, he's into Reiki and things and that, you know, very surface level, but uh, nothing, nothing crazy. But yeah, I think that's, that's where the uh, spiritual inkling comes from. And so he, mm -hmm. I, I call him usually like when something's happening because he's, quite calming and he'll just listen to me talk about whatever <laughs> to try and sort of distract me from the intense physical symptoms yeah mm. gosh <laughs> yeah yeah it's, well it's, it's incredible it's incredible not, story it's not for the faint-hearted let me tell you um it's a it's a um very visceral and uh existential <laughs> experience at times it was for me and I'm sure people experience it in a beautiful, like blissful way from, or even in gent, I've heard other people that have had very gentle awakenings and it's like, mm -hmm. and I can't relate. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 uh, 
the visceral and violent side definitely exists. Um, but from, you know, reading Tara's work, it seems to be that I chose this experience for this inc incarnation because I'm, because I have had it happen in past lives or I was, and I'm completing work that I was doing in, in lifetimes before. It does really feel like that when I, when I, when I feel into the, the truth of that, it feels like I'm back to complete some work and I've needed to, to wake, uh, wake up earlier in this lifetime. Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's incredible. The, um, well, I suppose, you know, you asked me, uh, what is usually done at this point, right? Mm. Um, and one of the things that, and I'm trying not to answer with another question, but my other, my, my question would be, but you don't have to answer it right away. It would be, where would you like this? Where would you like this to go? What would you like to happen? with this. Some people, for example, just want it to go away. Other people, um, you know, want to channel it in some direction or they, or they want to investigate what, where they feel they're being led with it and, you know, uncovering something new perhaps, or, you know, yeah. so, or, you know, there may be a, a move to, to want to help others or, or, or relate to others in some sort of a, a way, um, you know, or as you said, healing trauma and so on. So, I mean, there are a lot of possible motivations one might have at this point so i'm curious what would you like to have happen um so from an egoic sense it, i want like it my ego wants it to go away you know like at times it's right. just wants it to go away because it's it's i slowly making the ego obsolete <laughs> I, there's a real sense that it's it's slowly making um slowly well, it's, it's, it's forcing me to let go of outdated conditioning and patterning and the ego loves to hang on to those types of things because they, for a time they've kept you safe or, um, they are serving some sort of mechanism in the psyche that has been there since childhood, you know? So, um, there's, there's that definitely, but my, I would say my higher self or my true self wants to see where it goes. And it's, and I can see that it's happened for a purpose and it's going to serve a purpose in my work or how I connect and, and relate to the rest of the world. There is definitely a sense ever since it happened that I'm here to help people um, and even be there for people who go through a similar experience. I have a, a intuitive sense that a lot of people are going to go through this experience spontaneously soon. Um, mm. And there's, and I'm not sure if that's just something to do with our time um, and conditions of the, the earth at the moment, but I, I have a sense that I've had to go through this to help in the future. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Well, you know, Tara of course will be, I think of great, help there because you know she she uh, works with this has worked with this for decades so i mean people may not know tara spring it is a, a woman that i interviewed mm -hmm. um she lives in the uk and uh she's a kundalini therapist is what she calls you know that's i think that's what i called the interview i i've re I released two interviews with her and i have got a yeah. third one still in, in the archives which is to come out you know soon oh, and her specialty is in dealing with, uh, well, she's a psychotherapist and her specialty is working with people in your situation who have some sort of Kundalini experience, yeah. uh, sometimes very intense, very unmanageable, very negative, sometimes very positive, 
you know, uh, maybe a mixture of, 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 of both in certain degrees. And she's done that for some decades now. She herself had a, a experience not dissimilar to yours, actually, with a lot of wanted and unwanted. Mm. Uh, she would say symptoms or consequences mm. that came from that. And she's had to learn over the years how to manage that. And it's sort of come in waves for her, I believe. I'm now recalling what she said in the interview. Yeah. And she's written, as you said, several books about, about this topic. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's interesting that you resonated with some of the points mm. in her book. It's, it's, I think it's one of those things that if you have had the experience, then a lot of what someone says makes sense. But if you haven't had the experience, it just mm. sounds very strange indeed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, that's interesting. Uh, so I think, I think um, it's a smart move to seek out someone like that. And the steps usually involved are something along the lines of, you know, it depends what you want to do with it, right? Some, some, something along the lines of, if, if need be, symptom management. Hmm. And then it tends to be a kind of getting to know the system. And as you've already said, what, are the, what sets it off? Hmm. Um, you know, what, how to work with it underneath the physical pain, there's emotion, et cetera. You know, getting to know the anatomy of your own particular circumstance. Hmm. Uh, so initially, perhaps symptom, symptom uh, relief. And then when that's reasonable, some kind of getting to know the situation. And then from that point, one can begin to work with it cooperatively or collaboratively. Yeah. Um, I believe that's the usual path. But of course, that's very dependent on what the person themselves w- wants. Uh, they may yeah. not want to go through that whole, whole thing. And <clears throat> I think that's, that's something that one might expect to experience with, with Tara. Um, I'm, I'm drawing this now from what, what she said and, and just yeah. general knowledge about, about this. You know. Yeah, have you have you? I haven't gone through the archive of your um, entire podcast, but have you ever um, spoken to other people? That... Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, um, have you ever spoken to anyone else who's had a similar experience, or as, is a Kundalini therapist in that way, or is Tara literally the only one that you found? Yes, there are some others. Um, of course, there are some famous books, the Gopi Krishna book. Uh, is, is the classic one, yeah. uh, but there are several others. Another lady who's works with Kundalini in a slightly different way, um, but also was obliged to figure it out. Um, you know, a lot of these kind of people that we're referencing here, they were obliged to figure it out when it happened to them. But yes, there are systems of attempting to awaken these mm. sorts of uh, spiritual energies or you know, psychosomatic energies, mm. uh, Kundalini yogas of various kind. Yes. Um, but a lot of the people who are out there writing about this sort of thing, it happens to them and then they're obliged to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and Mary Shutan, I believe, is one of those people. So Mary Shutan is an author and she was involved. She's a sort of spiritual teacher as well. And well, she's not sort of a spiritual, she is also a spiritual teacher. And she was involved in Western occultism mm-hmm. and various other practices, meditation and so on. Yeah. And so she was a ceremonial magician, actually, for some, for some time, although she doesn't do that these days and she's gone through several phases as well um depending she has these sort of peak experiences like this uh, and it can be very disruptive and then she has to find a new way of you know operating and so on and she's become better at that and maybe a little bit misremembering the details but mary shutan's another kundalini person and she's works with it a little bit differently to tara spring it but uh that's someone else i've interviewed yeah interesting yeah i'll go and um listen to that podcast now because yeah, I guess there's always, I'm always looking for more guidance uh, on how to cope with it. Um, 
because I think, and I'm not sure you might be able to answer this question because I I don't know too much about really advanced um, Buddhist practice or um, like say in esoteric Buddhism and things like that. But it seems like um, there is an entire different set of uh, spiritual teachings that go along with when like when Tumo is awakened and also when Kundalini is awakened. It's like after you get to that point, there's like another another chapter that needs to be fulfilled and does that exist is the in the spiritual sort of uh traditions and practices or is it more so like once you get to that point cool you're enlightened <laughs> whatever you know right yeah i think it does depend very much on the system yeah. uh, they have different views but mm-hmm. yes there are there there is a sense in in some traditions that of stages of practice essentially mm-hmm. uh, that you can't do stage four if you're if you're still at stage one yeah and you know some of those stages of practice involve attaining certain should we say meditational capabilities for example the ability to concentrate mm-hmm. um, others may involve uh, some sort of uh, yogic attainments for example being able to hold one's breath for a certain amount of time or some sort of energetic component for example like you say um, some awakening of Tumo, for example. Now, not these things are not always considered to be equivalent. Mm. Um, and other people say they are equivalent. So some people say, oh, yes, Kundalini is the same as Tumo. Some people say, no, it's not quite the same thing. Oh. And so it's, it should be, I think, we should be aware that certainly different systems and different people will slice that differently. Yeah. But yeah, in Tumo, for example, in Tumo practice, it's a staged practice. Yeah. And you uh, do certain exercises maneuvers breath control etc visualization is often involved and it's set to light a kind of tumo you know awaken the 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 tumo fire inside mm-hmm. and then that, that warms the various different energetic centers and involves a kind of uh, circulation of that heat and an awakening of four different bliss experiences mm-hmm. and you know that one thing follows the other you can't really I mean, someone can teach you the whole thing, but you can't, you know, for instance, if I'm sitting, if I was to sit here and do Tumo, I wouldn't be able to myself access those four blisses. But somebody who's more advanced in the practice, or maybe somebody with a natural or intuitive feeling. I knew some people actually who um, are very sensitive or talented or however you want to put it. And they just take to Tumo. I know one one woman in particular, I'm thinking of this one woman Mm. and uh, she started doing Tumo under the guidance of a teacher and immediately started having very strong. In fact, she had strong ex, uh, experiences, even in the warm up that the true core, there are certain movements you do yeah. just, they're not exactly a warm up precisely, but they're not to mow them. They're not to mow itself, yeah. but she even began to have, you know, but she's quite advanced practitioner. She's very, oh, you've just frozen Steve. Anyway, and she had an incredible uh, experience with that. And it was it was quite intense indeed. And along the lines, the textbook lines of what's supposed to happen in Tumo. Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. so, you know, I, I don't know if they're the same. Now, some people will say, yeah, it's all the same. But and so, but I, I'm not quite convinced of that because <clears throat> there's difference. even if we think of fitness systems, yeah. fitness systems are, they have a lot in common. But they're not quite the same and you know lifting a heavy weight with low reps is not the same as 
you know, squatting heavy rates, low reps is not the same as squatting uh, low weight, high reps. It's the same in a lot of ways, but in a lot of other ways, it's very different. And yeah. so that, I think there are probably um, great differences here also. Um, I must say this sort of a very advanced energetic work mm. is a little bit beyond my pay grade. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, understandable. It, it, from what I understand, it is, and it's it's often kept quite closely to the the masters and the advanced practitioners because of the I think the the intensity and the possible adverse uh, reactions to it. Um, but that doesn't help when someone like me who happened to very spontaneously and, you know, with not much uh, understanding of what, of, of what it was, you know, and, and that's, that's, it's an interesting thing. And at times, yeah, it can be quite, feel quite lonely, like, and uh, be a little bit concerning and fearful around like, Oh, these high level practitioners say that you shouldn't be trying to do this. And I was like, okay, well, what happens if it just happened spontaneously? You know, like what now? <laughs> it's like, you're kind of trying to right. reverse engineer the process or um, yeah. It's like, from what I understand. Well, I think it seems to be the case that most people who, most people who try to do it. Sorry, I think there's a bit of a lag. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. No, oh, it's all right. It's, it's okay now. I'm sorry. I yeah, I, I started talking because I thought you'd finished and then oh. and it, I think it was a lag. Um, yeah, I mean, I think most mo many people who try to do these things are unsuccessful at them. Um, and some, I suppose, are successful at them. I think that's a minority. Uh, but then there are this there, there is this other category of person who seems to have a natural talent or stumbles into it accidentally. And, you know, it can be through all sorts of things, a near death experience or uh, a particularly intense drug trip can can appear to do it or some kind of breakdown, as you put it, you know, some overwhelming mm. situation, or you're just simply walking down the road and there it hits you, you know, the, one hears all these stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why it's good, I think, to connect with somebody like Tara. Um, for for example, I mean, I, I, I haven't myself penetrated the inner circle mm. of advanced practitioners, if, if such a thing exists, mm. who know the ropes of this, because I don't really qualify. Yeah. And it would be wasted on me in a sense uh, uh, to be there. I, I could, I guess I could interview them. That would be useful. But, um, you know, there's, there's not much I could get from them in terms of practice because it's a little bit like getting a guitar lesson from a virtuoso guitar master when you're only yourself, yeah. uh, you know, playing Sweet Child of Mine or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, it, sure, they can teach you how to play a D chord really, really well. But how much of that really, really good teaching are you really absorbing? Yes, you know, right. It might be an equivalent thing to go to your local guitar teacher. Um, yeah. you, you'd be able to absorb about the same amount of material. So I think someone in your position is in, a, in an interesting position uh, because you find yourself in this, you know, in this situation. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's smart, I think, to uh, to investigate as you've done and, and learn to navigate this on yeah. your own terms. Yeah. Taking advice consulting others but fundamentally you know on your own terms it's your experience it's your life mm -hmm. and um you're not obliged i wouldn't say to follow any particular system for the sake of it um so but it sounds like you've got a pretty good instinct of following your nose with this stuff yeah um well i've had to <laughs> i've really had to develop that sense um and yeah it's a uh, look I, I steer clear of energy work that seems to really set it off like Reiki and things like that. Um, 
really set it off. I, I, I know what to steer clear of now. Um, and I know, like you were saying, how, what to, what to eat and what to avoid food wise. And I know what exercises and, um, yeah, so I, I've worked with a lady named Irene Lyon who is in somatic experiencing and um, she also does Feldenkrais therapy. I don't know if you've heard of Feldenkrais before. Um, of course, yeah. Moshe Feldenkrais, yeah. Uh, yeah he's like the, the one of the fathers of somatic experiencing. Um, and so his work is it's very simple and it's based off of, um, a lot of it's based off of the way babies move. Um, and I find those types of things really just put me back into my body I don't, and as well with the breath, it's not about like controlling the breath at all. It's about just noticing how it naturally wants to breathe. And I find that when you allow the body to just re recognize that it's out of alignment, it will just align itself again naturally. Um, and so usually the sign that I'm regulating again is I start yawning and yawning and yawning because um, you're trying to stimulate the soft palate the vagus where the vagus nerve is at the back there and um yeah i i know that now it's like as soon as i sit down to do neurosensory exercises it's like i'm almost like pavlov's dog you know like i with uh as soon as i hear irene's voice i just it's almost like i start yawning straight away um and my body mm -hmm. starts to regulate into that or if i lie down to do particular feldenkrais therapy where you it's called balancing the back um it's very simple very gentle and yeah i'll start yawning all the way through that too which is which is nice <laughs> gosh yeah yeah that's amazing you you really are obliged it seems to intimately understand your body mind system it yeah. seems that that's not optional for you <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I've been forced to but you know i've, I've um I think I'm uh, accruing all the tools that I need to help other people that go through a similar thing. You know, there's definitely want there. Yeah. And uh, I do, like, I am a bit of a nerd in that respect. Like I like learning about the anatomy and especially nervous system anatomy and understanding healing in more of a scientific sense. Uh, Eileen McCusick's biofield tuning modality is quite incredible as that it maps out zones in the, in the bioenergetic field as to where traumatic memories are stored and then that's interfacing with the body and the nervous system and the fascia. So, um, yeah, yeah, look, uh, that's the, the path that I'm on, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. It's uh, incredible. Yeah, Lucidity. You. You've been able to describe it all and break it all down. Very, very cool. Indeed. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Um, well, this has turned into a reverse interview. In interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, look, I, did you want to share anything quickly about your own spiritual journey? Like who, what was your spiritual influence? How did you get onto your spiritual path and did it happen early on in life or was it something that sort of uh, emerged as you became an adult or? Yeah. Well, like the brief version is that when I was a little boy, hmm. um, I was, there were two, I think influences hmm. perhaps broadly speaking. One of them is I was an altar boy in the Catholic church from about five years old and an altar boy, those who don't know, we have this ritual in the Catholic church called the mass and it's prior, it's sort of, uh, pre it's like a ritual and, and it's not, it's not free form. It follows a certain kind of order of things that happen. And, um, you have the priest and he does things. And then sometimes you have altar boys or altar girls mm -hmm. and you wear a kind of cassock thing. 
And it's your job to, in a set way, carry this candle from here to here, or to take the cup from the priest and wipe it down. And you know, you're basically part of this ritual, and it's a choreographed thing. Hmm. And uh, I did that for quite some years, and I didn't get much of the dogma or the doctrine actually of the Catholic Church at all. The hmm. priest himself was a Jesuit, very quiet and contemplative, profound oh. sort of uh, man, uh, but he wasn't much of a doctrinaire or an indo- or an indoctrinaire and my mother uh, would not allow my brother and i to go to the sunday school which is where they take the children out and a volunteer from the parish teaches them about the rules and regulations and so on and the beliefs of, of the tenets of the faith we didn't do that my mother emphasized a private faith hmm. this idea that you go to the ritual context for your own contemplative connection with god or mary or you know whatever um jesus you know whatever you whatever you like, the sort of or, sort of orientation towards that um, and an inner kind of experience uh, within the context of the ritual, held within the context of the ritual in the sacred place. And so that, that was the emphasis. So um, I didn't get much of the sort of rules and regs, but I did get a lot of the direct sort of mysticism side. And by mysticism here, I just mean direct experience of contemplative things. I don't necessarily mean any kind of you know enlightenment, right? But so I would have that. I'd sit there and... I loved the ritual and I had very wonderful experiences in that sitting in the silence between all the candle carrying, you know, you sit there and I'd have these tremendous experiences of the whole top of my head opening up and you know, yeah. just, or just being, just being fun, very mund, in a very mundane way, just being there so blissful, so peaceful yeah. and so wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I, I had that kind of a thing going on. And then also I was doing martial arts at that time too from also from around the age of five mm-hmm. and that that was a traditional karate yeah, and yeah we did lots of traditional things like standing with the arm out and you know that sort of stuff and yeah, yeah. doing meditation this sort of stuff so uh i love that too and i immediately kind of clicked that it was uh you know this sort of body mind body spirit kind of emphasis that certain traditional martial arts have when they're taught that way um I clicked with that and I, I loved it and I fell in love with that. So I've got really deep into that. And of course, when you're, when you're doing a lot of that, I practice all the time. Um, you read, I was reading a lot about it too. And you can't read very much about martial arts before you start to get into hmm. um, it's sort of religious uh, social context. And then you start to encounter things like Zen Buddhism or Buddhism in general or Taoism or, you know, yeah. things like that. And I read all, widely at that time, those, 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 uh, Traditions, of course, I know they're very different traditions, but I I saw them as sort of uh, a sort of buffet of fascinating uh, systems and ideas and uh, you know beliefs and practices and so on. So I, I just immerse myself in those and find them to be so ex- exciting and interesting. So those two things, I think, at an early age were some of my earlier influences. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of un- gone on from there, and I've done all sorts of things or explored all sorts of different systems including going quite much deeper into the christian side um, and then going also into yoga into various kinds of meditation um, and various other weird and wonderful (laughs) explorations yeah 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 yeah. so yeah that's that's kind of i guess a little bit of my uh, my background yeah okay cool that's really nice um yeah thanks for sharing that uh, I can very much relate to the blissful experiences of uh, that you were saying that you were experiencing at quite a young age of um, just being, you know, like kind of being yeah. awe of the beauty of 
life unfolding in front of you you know that's that's the best way exactly. I can explain it. It's just like you're so at peace with whatever's going on. It doesn't matter what's happening. It's like, oh, this is perfect. And this is absolutely beautiful. And uh, yeah, I, early on in the Kundalini, Kundalini experience, I would oscillate between that state and the complete yes. opposite of that, like quite violently over maybe a space of a couple of days. Um, but, uh, you know, I still have that. I still have that now, which is lovely. That's the blissful side of it. And that, that's the experiences that I'm very open to having. Um, and as well, it seems to be like a very exacerbated empathy as well. Uh, I Early yeah. on, I would have moments where I, I used to catch a train to college when I was studying music production at this time. And uh, I would sit on the train and I, it would, I would almost be in tears because I could feel like the pain of everybody. It was like mm -hmm. I, I couldn't sit across from someone because I could just I could it was like I was devastated for whatever might have happened in their life. I could just feel all the pain they were carrying. Um I could, I'd go to order food at a restaurant or something and I would just like fall in love with whoever was uh giving like or the cashier because I could tell how much grief they had in their life or something and Right. Weird, weird things like that which and which it seemed beautiful but sometimes they're quite uh <laughs> disruptive to daily life <laughs> if that makes Certainly. sense yeah yeah it makes perfect sense yeah it makes perfect sense and i think you described it so so beautifully there um that this you know the the unfolding of life in, in front of you or and indeed inside of you and you know but yes that that's i think you've hit the nail on the head there what i was trying to express you yeah know? Are you um, willing to talk a little bit about your work with Michaela Bowen? Because I think it um, it, it pertains to this because I've I've done a little bit of nonlinear movement and I find the embodied somatic practices work really well with Kundalini. Um, just because it seems to be beyond language uh, a lot of the time and it's not like you can think your way there, <laughs> which I've tried to do a lot of the time. And um, yeah, maybe explain what nonlinear movement is and uh, how you got into that and how you met Michaela and all of that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, actually, she's upstairs right now. I'm in Australia oh. here teaching with her. Oh, well, wow. so she's upstairs. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you should interview her. Um, mm. So, yeah, she, Michaela is a <clears throat> counselor, uh, internationally regarded counselor, as well as has had in her own right many explorations of all kinds of uh, yogic and spiritual things, including Kashmir Shaivism and other things like that. And uh, nonlinear movement method evolved from a central channel practice that she was taught by her teacher at around 16 years old. At that time, she had an Indian teacher in Austria called Deepa. Mm -hmm. And anyway, you can read all about this in Wild Woman's Way, her book, or maybe you can interview her and she'll tell you all about it herself. But it, it, it was a central channel practice um, designed to sort of unkink the central channel and so on, something along those lines. And so it involved sort of somatic awareness, et cetera, as well as sort of subtle awareness. And over time, that's, that has evolved into a movement modality called nonlinear movement method, which is what you're referring to. And you mentioned before you've attended some of Michaela's online classes about that. She teaches it quite regularly online. Yeah. And the, that principle of that is that, uh, it's nonlinear movement. So there are certain kind of rules, if you like, uh, to it. One of them is to keep on moving, even if it's just a little finger or a toe. That's one example you know, of the mm -hmm. rules. Um, so there's two, three little rules like that. But then 
there's no guidance in terms of what sort of movement you should be doing. So it's not like yoga where you take on certain asana poses or qigong where you do certain kinds of you know qigong movements. Uh, you do this nonlinear movement. So there are different modalities. One modality of nonlinear movement is moving what you're feeling. And the idea there is to, whatever you're feeling, uh, you allow that to uh, express in the body uh, and power a kind of movement of the body. So it's not an interpretive dance where if you feel angry, you make an angry face, or if you feel sad, you make a sad face. Uh, the movements that you make might not be anything to do from a kind of performance point of view to with what you're feeling that's not the point and sometimes you don't even know what you're feeling actually it's just a sense of allowing the body to move in response to um what it is you're aware of physically emotionally psychologically etc that's one modality another modality is release and that's geared a little bit more to release trauma release for example mm-hmm. you know this non-linear movement method was uh, a lot of it took came together when Michaela was working in a dual do- diagnosis rehab she co-founded a in Malibu, dual diagnosis rehab. So substance abuse rehab, along with cluster B personality disorders, or sometimes what they call access to. Mm-hmm. So when you have that combination, that's they call that dual diagnosis, right? So um, it, she worked a lot in that. So you have to work with people who are, you know, detoxing from various substances. And as they detox, they're encountering the stuff inside that drove them to addiction in the first place, that drove them to those coping mechanisms in the first place, yeah. which is, all kinds of things you can imagine, terrible, terrible, terrible traumas of various kinds. Mm. Um, so when you detox, it's not just the physical, you also encounter very often, just like actually your Kundalini pains, you know, what's underneath the drinking, what's underneath the drug use, uh, you know, often it's a great deal of pain, you know, and so, and, and psychological, emotional, physical trauma. So working with, working with those, uh, that population, mm. a lot of the nonlinear came kind of came together at that time helping them move through that in various different ways so there's a release modality that's a little bit more geared in that direction to release could be just stress tension etc or indeed can work with deeper trauma stuff another modality is pleasure and you can use the same idea of nonlinear to connect to um the pleasure of the body Uh, not only sexual pleasure but just well-being good feeling in the body etc so there are ways to access that a lot of people quite blocked when it comes to that, or I have quite a low ceiling of pleasure. And so there are ways to cultivate that and connect to that, the pleasure that's available at almost every moment, kind of background pleasure, if you want. Yeah. And there's another modality to do with calling in where you attempt to orient the body towards some sort of objective or aspiration. And there are several other modalities too. But the point is, it's this, it's this multifaceted uh, or multi-use, I suppose, uh, modality with a few core principles yeah um which you know michael explains it in wild woman's way uh book uh, published by simon and schuster or you can go to michaelabone.com uh we do teacher trainings on it and we we uh michael and i worked very closely on those on those teacher trainings training people to actually facilitate nonlinear in group classes or one-on-one so we categorized and organized in such a way that it's possible to learn yeah. how to do it and we teach also a lot of things there about containment, how to contain a room and uh, not just to teach the method, but how to teach in general. Well, what about embodiment? We look into embodiment a great deal. What about the barriers to embodiment? We look into the barriers like stress, you know, overwhelm, trauma, etc. We look into that. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of these sort of offerings uh, to do with nonlinear. It's not the only thing that Michaela does. It's not the only thing that we do together, teaching wise, yeah, but it's a big part of it. And it's, he has a very special, I think, uh, modality. 
And uh, we, we have an idea of inquiry over imposition, inquiry over imposition. So rather than telling you what you should be feeling or telling you how you should go or telling you what you should be doing with what it is you're experiencing, instead facilitating a context of inquiry in which you can investigate what it is you're experiencing. You can learn to navigate it. You can learn to become acquainted with your inner and outer sensations and your inner and outer life. So actually you become more and more empowered as you go through it, rather than more and more dependent on this sort of great, very wise, you know, teacher figure maybe who's telling you all the things you should be doing next. Yeah. So of course, Michaela is a very wise teacher figure, that's true. But I feel that those who truly know, know the value of truly knowing and finding out for yourself and don't rob students of the uh, opportunity to actually learn to navigate their experience. Yeah. In other words, handing someone out answers from a position of wisdom, it's not very, it's not bad to do that, but it's, and sometimes it's necessary. And, but it's better in general, that's the sort of approach we have to facilitate the student in, their, in, in, in them learning to navigate their own experience and becoming less dependent on the teacher, not more dependent on the teacher. So that's, that's a, a smattering of thoughts and reflections on the nonlinear movement method. Uh, yeah. But you can find out more, as you know, in Wild Woman's Way, the book, or uh, Michaela Bohem, B-O-E-H-M.com. Yeah, cool. I'll pop it in the show notes, uh, the book and, uh, um, and her website as well, because since we've touched on it. But yeah, fascinating. Thanks, thanks for sharing that, Steve. Um, it, it is a powerful modality. And uh, my friend, my wise friend, James, who I mentioned at the at the start, one day I was sitting in a session with him and I was tr- troubleshooting like how to move a certain uh, yeah, sensation uh, in the body, Kundalini sensation. And he was like, and, I was, and we were trying to describe what it was like. I was like, oh, it's like very like wavy and serpentine. And I was kind of making this movement. And he's like, he's like, oh, I know what you need to do. And then we tried some nonlinear movement there because uh, he'd worked, he'd worked with it before or he'd done it before. And then from that right. point onwards, I, for a while there, I was doing it every morning kind of thing, you know, as a, and um, yeah, it really did really, really worked. Um, and I did have a somatic release after it and it came out of my uh, right foot. Would you believe during mm-hmm. uh, just the one where I was, um, on your hands and knees and it's just move how you is that the move how you feel is that is that what that is where you're on your hands and knees and you just kind of move with whatever sensation is sort of going yeah that sounds that sounds like moving what you're feeling yeah Yeah, moving what you're feeling so um during that my right foot cramped up really badly and then it just started to shake and it kind of like shook the cramp out and i was like wow that was really interesting um i didn't have uh much emotional content with that but um yeah i I kind of aware enough to know like from my own experience now I was like okay that was some sort of uh trauma trauma or belief that was being held in, in that part of the body hmm. yeah 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 there's a there's a tremendous wisdom in the body especially when it comes to these sorts of trauma and trauma release yeah. and um you know another another aspect of nonlinear that we emphasize is we don't attempt to push a person into experiencing something or going deeper. So it's a quite a gentle method in the sense that if you're ready, if your body is ready, uh, you can have experiences like that and other kinds of experiences, 
but it's not inevitable that that will happen before you're ready. So uh, we don't push people into it. So we don't ratchet up the intensity deliberately, for example, to induce an experience. Mm. Or we don't thrust people into cathartic experiences. Sometimes thrusting people into catharsis, experiences mm. of tremendous intensity, yeah. it feels good and there's an endorphin rush afterwards, but it's not always that productive. In yeah. fact, sometimes it can be a little re-traumatizing yes. to do that. Mm. Um, and the processing can become quite thin, actually and quite almost on a hair trigger. You can almost train that kind of, that kind of uh, a response, uh, which of course is dramatic and people feel, gosh, that's doing something, but it's not yeah. always doing something. That's it. So going point. at the body's own pace. Hmm. Hmm? That's a very important point um, about re-traumatizing, you know, going at the body's own pace, like you just said at the end there. Uh, from what I understand is you have to build capacity first um through like very simple and foundational exercises so that when something like that wants to release that you're prepared and your nervous you have the capacity to kind of allow it without it re-traumatizing the nervous system again <laughs> yeah i think that's yeah that's quite right and um you know there are reasons why People have this idea with embodiment that more embodiment's better, but there are reasons why people don't feel. And what are some of those reasons? Well, one of them is just you're just stressed and busy with other things on the computer, you know, all day. And so you just kind of disconnected habitually from the body. Okay, that's one thing. All right. So then, you know, de-stressing, connecting to the body is good. But other, there are other reasons people are disconnected from the body. One of them is that it hurts down there. It hurts because there's pain or there's trauma or there's anxiety or there's stress. And it's difficult to process that. Mm. So to plunge someone through the liminal space of what they're aware of and what's underneath, to plunge someone there in a gung-ho fashion uh, with the idea perhaps that more embodiment's better than less uh, right now as well, you know, as much as possible embodiment right this moment is, is better, is perhaps a little bit naive. Yeah. So letting the body unfold, and you've used that word a few times in your own report of your own experiences, this idea of unfolding, letting the body unfold um, or at its, you know, an open at its own pace and, you know, release certain things at its, at its own pace and feel certain things at its own pace. Hmm. Um, then it's much more integratable. Then it's not such a yo-yo of tremendous experience of intensity and then disconnectedness and then, to, you know, numbness or intensity, a yo-yoing between that a kind of integration where one's able to, as you said, have a capacity to feel the highs and the lows maximum poignancy to quote one of my teachers Shinzen Yang, maximum poignancy minimum problem so it's yeah. not that you feel less but you feel but what you're you're able to feel more but you're able to feel it with poignancy and clarity and intensity and beauty and so on but with minimum problem without the contraction without the flinch without the overwhelm yeah um that sometimes they call that equanimity the ability to feel without push or pull yeah. So that, ha that you can't rush that, really. Um, you can't really rush that. Um, so you can't force it. It's also compared sometimes to a flower that's growing from the earth. When you have a flower growing from the earth and you want it to grow, you can't just pull on it and say, well, come on, you pull on it to hope it'll come out of the ground quicker and grow more. It doesn't work like that. In fact, you, you just set up the right conditions good soil, you know, good nutrition, et cetera, for the plant, sunlight, water, et cetera. And then it grows simply in its own time. And a lot of the, these practices are a bit, a bit like that. You sort of set up the right conditions and you allow it to blossom in that sense, to continue that metaphor 
in its own in its own time mm. yeah yeah beautiful um thanks for explaining that and uh, i a, a penny levine quote comes to my mind and it is uh i think i can't i'm not going to remember it exactly but it was it's something along the lines of um all trauma is is all trauma is just stopping you from experiencing the present or something. It goes something like that. It's like all trauma is just um, an inability to experience the present moment. And uh, it definitely does feel like that when I being in touch with my own uh, uh, stuff, I, I notice how it takes me out of my body. So yeah, these, these somatic practices are very powerful in, in healing trauma because they allow the intelligence of the body to, to heal itself. You know, I think it's when the mind gets involved in all of its uh, antics of trying to distract from the pain, like we were saying before, and this is where it gets into addiction and things. uh, It's trying to ignore the, 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 and suppress the pain. But once, once we lean back into it in a loving environment, like you and Michaela provide, it's um, there. Yeah. They're the, they're the right conditions to allow it to unfold naturally. And, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's incredible. It's powerful and it's a, it's a, a gentle process it needs to be a gentle process mm. mm-hmm. yeah well thanks for asking about it it's, it's fun to talk about yeah no that's it's fascinating um I, I should add there like in in uh context with the kundalini i was talking about the kundalini will bring up all the trauma that you have <laughs> it will it will bring it up and turn it up to a thousand and to the point where you can't ignore it and um it is a lot and uh it, it's kind of i haven't i kind of have felt like i haven't had a chance to go th- walk through it gently it's like it wants to just blast it out of the way and i've had and i've been you know picking up the pieces but um what really helped me at the beginning with no understanding of any of it was a book called eastern body western mind i don't know if you've heard of that book before uh by anadea judith and it kind of marries jungian psychology and uh, the chakra system, you know, like the Hindu and yogic philosophy. Uh, and I found that was the perfect sort of, uh, doorway into understanding all of this kind of thing. And, and it does touch on Kundalini very briefly at the end. It's like, I had to read the whole book to get there, but, um, it mainly was just informing me about how trauma is stored in the body and how it arises through childhood development. That was enough to sort of say, okay, this is, this is what I'm experiencing as a result of that meditation event, you know? So, um, Mm. Steve, is there anything else you wanted to mention about, um, uh, your work or? Well, I think my podcast is www.guruviking.com. That's my website. And you can find the podcast there, seeing as we mentioned that earlier. And uh, you'll find other things there too. I have a free meditation club I do each week on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. Um, Although perhaps on Thursdays, it'll be some of the sessions, you know, in Australia because of the time difference. And I do it three times in that day, three streams for different time zones and so on. So we do meditation and guided meditation and Q&A during that time. And... uh, as well as other things and you'll find other things there too on the on the site like movement coin method a movement method that i developed actually not it's not non-linear it's linear there are movements you do yeah and so that's another thing and you can find out about that on the site so guruviking.com is the hub for all the things that i'm doing sure and um and then the guru viking podcast is is on uh everywhere you get podcasts so spotify apple podcasts and and yeah yeah Yeah. youtube youtube all that 
Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, um, Steve, we'll, we'll wrap it up here because we've talked about a lot and I think the people are going to need to digest <laughs> a lot of things. But um, thank you so much for joining me at such late notice. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this chat. It's been it's been nice. So thank you. And I uh, have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I'd be happy to. It was fascinating. Thank you very much. Thanks.